Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. I often start off the podcast that way by saying that we're here to help you create teamwork, leadership, and culture. And that is absolutely true. We've passed the 100 episode mark and we're entering our sixth season. And let me tell you folks, could not have been done without you. I know we've heard that before from so many different places, but it absolutely is the truth. We've had thousands and thousands and thousands of downloads. We've been downloaded now in over 70 countries. I was ecstatic to see that. We've been downloaded in places like Brunei, Switzerland, South Korea, Peru, Croatia, Ireland, and even Ukraine, folks, and many, many others. I'm so excited to know that the messages that we've been getting out there have been reached around the world. And that can't be done without you. So I'm asking for your continued support. Share this with other folks. Hit the like buttons. Join us. Subscribe. Go to our Facebook page. Just look on Facebook groups for the Teamwork Advantage podcast. We're there. We're carrying the dialogue on. We want to make sure we help you in every way possible. Our fifth season was just amazing with everybody that we had. And I'm just going to bring out a couple of the folks that we had. We had Sean Murray on recently talking about some of the greatest things that he does as far as understanding the culture of building things that way. Dr. Quentin Shepard, Jennifer Murphy, Marsha Dasko, Alyssa Cox. And yes, I even was on Alyssa's podcast talking about change. So that's one you might want to check out. And then we started things off back in June with the mentor, my mentor, Zig Ziglar's son, Tom Ziglar. You know, we've had so many different folks on our podcast for the years. Go back and find some of those early, early episodes. Don't forget to check out people like Charlie Plum, who was a uh, fighter pilot in Vietnam. Nicole Malakowski, the first female Thunderbird pilot in Air Force history, served in the White House under Presidents Bush and Obama. And it was a White House. Also served on special projects at the White House with First Lady Michelle Obama. Folks, I got to tell you, we're excited to kick season six off. And I want to tell you just a little bit about the guest that we have to start season six off. Her name is Robin Benincasa. I had the privilege to meet Robin several years ago at a National Speakers Association conference. And we had a great opportunity to talk. Let me tell you, she's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Sit back, strap your seatbelts on, get ready for this episode. Season six kicks off right now. Be sure to make it an excellent, exceptional day. I know I will. Bye. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory, founder of TeamsRock.com. Join us as Greg interviews thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from professional sports to manufacturing to business and industry. Now, let's join Greg for another powerful episode of the Teamwork Advantage. Welcome back to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast that's dedicated to the growth, development, and advancement, teamwork, leadership, and culture for what we like to call the TLC Arena. Hi, I'm Greg Gregory, founder and host of the Teamwork Advantage. And once a week, we bring you guests that are just absolutely amazing in these three areas. And today is absolutely no different. I'll get to Robin's uh, introduction in just a moment, but 
Robin Benacasa, right now, I want to ask you, you know, did you wake up one day wanting to be a world-class athlete? <laughs> no. Um, well, I started kind of down that road when I was about eight, but it was been a number of different sports, you know, over time, gymnastic, diving track, cross country, springboard, diving, Ironman triathlons, judo, uh, and then, um, and then adventure racing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I always wanted to be really good at something, but, uh, the plot twist came in terms of teamwork and my understanding of, of team building when I became an adventure racer. An adventure folks, if you think about the amazing race, what Robin's adventure racing is, is I, I like to tease it and say it's the amazing race on steroids. Um, it's, it's, I don't know if I'm characterizing that correctly or not, but it's, a, it's unbelievable that she's going to take some time today to share some of those stories from adventure racing and what we can do in our lives today that we can learn from what she did back then. But let's give you a little background on Robin. You know, the challenges are steep and the competition gets fierce. Robin Benincasa provides the tools that individuals and organizations need to cross their most challenging finish lines. As a two-time world champion adventure racer, a San Diego firefighter, a CNN hero, Robin knows a thing or two about creating human synergy, or she puts it, the magic that allows ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things together. And that's the secret part we're looking at. Through harrowing experiences in places like the jungles of Borneo and the Himalayan peaks, Robin has actually studied the good, the bad, and the not-so-pretty of extreme teamwork. Folks, what she's gone through in teamwork is something most of us will never experience. At least I hope not. not. <laughs> we hope not. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, her refreshing, unique techniques build, uh, build and foster impactful, inspired teams that succeed against odds and turn setbacks into comebacks. She was named one of 2020's most Top, 20, top 50 keynote speakers in Real Leaders Magazine, the number one female speaker for meetings.net, and one of the top 10 speakers featured by Harvard Business Review. So now she's not only taking what she has learned, she's sharing it. And that's one of the greatest things that I believe and we need to do is to share the knowledge that we have. She's motivated countless leaders and teams for Fortune 500 companies, including IBM, Starbucks, Walmart, Boeing, Johnson & Johnson, HubSpot, Intel, and more. Her game-changing keynotes inspire us to grab life with one hand, our teammates with the other, and create that special magic that each of us comes stronger together than we could ever be alone. Robin Benacasa, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening. So I'm really excited. You and I met several years ago. You were actually delivering a keynote at a conference I was in. And when you started chatting, and I've been out to San Diego, and I want to kind of take you back, take everybody back a little bit. You were doing adventure racing, but you were also a firefighter, and you, you were talking offline before. You just retired uh, last year, right? Nope, this year. This year. Just, so you've just <laughs> retired. Yeah, you've just retired from, in the last 12 months, from being a firefighter in San Diego. So tell me about, tell me about that, firefighting, and how did that mesh with and build to become an adventure racer? Um, well, I became a firefighter right about 
the time I became uh, an adventure racer. So they kind of dovetailed together. Uh, and in fact, our, our team had just won the world championships, uh, the Raid Gawas in Ecuador, uh, when I was in the fire academy, or right before I started the fire academy. So it was kind of actually awkward in a way because I was in the fire academy where you're kind of a nobody and a nothing and you're a boot, you know, you're starting from, from scratch, you know, nobody knows you, nobody really cares who you are yet. And uh, there was an article about my adventure racing team winning the world championships on the cover of the San Diego union. And it was actually terrible. <laughs> It was horrible because they're like, who do you think you are? So, so the, the teamwork, the team building for adventure racing got off to a rocky start in the fire department. So I still had to, you know, had to prove myself and, and be a good rookie and, and, um, you know, kind of take my team building that I learned in adventure racing and try to, uh, you know, continue to create that kind of synergy on, on my teams, uh, in the fire station. And that's, that's so important because you, you're right. It, when people's lives are on the line, as in firefighting, it's, it's very different. And yet, even though lives are on the line on your adventure racing, it's, you still have to be a team and you get, people don't care who you are. They don't care what you know, as long as you know that you can do their job that you're supposed to do. Is that, am I on the right part? Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's, um, you know, they, they sort of create an environment right out of the gates where, you know, everyone has to leave their ego, you know, on the fire engine, you can't bring it up to the call with you. And it's all about what are our strengths and talents that we're bringing to the team and having that respect for one another, for all the talents that all of us are bringing, realizing some of us are stronger here, stronger there. Some of us are strong on the medical side. Some of us are stronger on, on the physical side, you know, humping hose and, and carrying the heavy stuff. And on a great team, you know, you realize and capitalize on each other's strengths and, and you try to minimize each other's challenges. And, you know, you know, you're on a truly world-class team when, when everyone is constantly thinking, how, how can I help not only this patient, but how can I help my teammates? Like, what else can I do? What else can I add? And, you know, when you have that kind of team, um, you're, you're just much more successful, you know, as, as a firefighter, as well as in, in every aspect of life. Right. It, it, you just said something very key. And I want to go back and make sure we reiterate this. It's not so much what's in it for me it's now along the lines of what can i do to help my team what can i do to help this patient by the way the patient the, uh, that you're working with there is now all by default part of your team mm -hmm. 100 percent. yeah i mean it, it and it was you know the person the patient person would always rotate too based on you know we, we'd get to a call and we'd see who who that patient gravitated to who would they who would they talk to who would they interact with who would they um, be comforted by and, you know, that changed constantly, too. Sometimes it was the paramedic that was the lead on taking care of the patient. Sometimes it ended up being me because it was it was, you know, the patient was a woman and, and she felt more comfortable talking to me. Um, you know, so it was it, there was constantly that understanding of, of you know, strengths like everyone just just move forward based on their strength. And, you know, we're not going to worry about who's getting the credit. You know, it's all about, you know, getting this patient to the yeah. hospital get, you know, making sure this fire is out and, and on, on world-class teams, no one cares who gets the credit. They always care about the results, you know, and, and that's the bottom line, like whatever it takes to get the people that we're serving across, across their own finish line. In an adventure race, you know, it was our team. It was our teammates in the fire department. It was, you know, the community that we're serving, you know, as, as well as our teammates, but, you know, you always have to have that higher sense of purpose, you know, as the 
what I found interesting, and you're, you're, it's the higher sense of purpose which really catapults the great teams. That's what takes a good team and turns it great, when they really focus on the greater good for everybody, and not just not just the particular firehouse, because if you're working on a multi-alarm uh, fire, you're bringing in trucks from all different areas as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and you can't have an ego as a crew. It can't be our crew did this, your crew did that. It, right. You know, everybody working to get the fire out, get the patients to the hospital. And, you know, then, then all the debrief stuff happens later. But in the moment, it's like, what can I do? Who can I help? How can I use my skills, you know, in this moment to make this situation better? Yeah. I remember that when we met in the summer, of, it was probably the next year, I came out to San Diego, reached out to you, and I can remember sitting at your firehouse there in San Diego, sitting on the wall out back. And one of the things you told me that day was the team at your firehouse really didn't even know what you did in adventure racing. So mm -hmm. how did that happen? I mean, how could they not know they're in the midst of somebody as strong as you are in that arena. It, it, it's, you know, I would never mention it unless somebody asked because it doesn't matter what I've done or, or where I've been or, you know, the, the championships that we've won. It doesn't matter to anybody on the rig. It doesn't matter to the patient that we're going to serve, you know, so it, it didn't behoove me to go around talking about it. Like, uh, you know, my, um, you know, I just wanted to be a, a really good firefighter. And, mm -hmm. and yes, it was nice that I had the athletic background. I had the teamwork skills. I had the strength, you know, to, to be a great team player, but um, unless somebody asked, I would never talk about it. <laughs> it wasn't important. It didn't matter. It didn't matter to me. It didn't matter to them. It's, it's, can you show up? Can you, can you do the job? Can you be a great teammate when we need you? And that's, that's really all that all that mattered. And there, that in right there, and I wanted to hear how you would respond on that because you just demonstrated how you weren't thinking about yourself, but you were thinking about the team at the firehouse at that time. And that, yeah. there again, you're elevating the team in that aspect. What got you into adventure racing in the first place? I mean, adventure racing, and by the way, let's tell everybody, it's the, the, one, the race that you would always do is called, I believe, the Eco Challenge. Yeah, there, there were kind of two versions of the world championships. The original was the Raid Galois, and that was created by a crazy, awesome Frenchman. And his idea was to try to mimic the Whitbread round the world sailing race on land. So in essence, you know, you have these, um, the outline of the sport is that you have small teams of men and women. You have to have uh, at least one man and one woman on, on a four or five person team, depending on the race. So basically mixed gender teams. And the race director will say, um, you need to meet us here in one of the most remote places on earth. It changed every single time. Sometimes it was like a mountain in Tibet or the middle of the jungle in Fiji, the middle of the jungle in Borneo, um, you know, a high, a high plain in Argentina, like just these, these places that you're not even sure anyone else has even been before. You just, you show up, you get there. And then um, the next morning they give you maps and compasses and road rules. And they say, ready, set, go. We'll see you in 600 to a thousand miles. And it's about whichever team gets their first wins. And you're doing only non-motorized transportation, like kayaking, mountain biking, whitewater rafting, mountaineering, uh, basically whatever it takes to get from point A to point B. And the clock never stops. So if you sleep and when you sleep is all part of your team strategy. So the winning teams will usually get about an hour and a half-ish of sleep every 24 hours and be racing the rest of the time. 
Um, but the physical part isn't even the hardest part. The real kicker of the whole sport, I mean, certainly the physical part is hard, but the real kicker is that um, if you lose one teammate, either they're injured or they quit because, you know, they're, you know, they're just upset with the team or they don't want to continue. They're too tired to go on. If one person on your team quits, your entire team is disqualified. So this brought up a whole different world of teamwork wow. and team building and synergy because you had to create this environment where you, you were not only trying to get yourself across these crazy 10 day long nonstop finish lines. You know, you also had to get these three or four other people to stay inspired, committed, elevated, continue to respect each other um, and, and, and get everybody across finish line because in, unless all people cross finish line, you couldn't even say that you finished. So it became a game of how do I elevate, inspire these three or four other people uh, and, and take care of them as much or more so than I'm taking care of myself. And what we discovered is our team became pretty good at this brand of synergy where, where we literally were looking out for each other more so than we were even looking out for ourselves. And it didn't really manifest itself in caring about each other. It also manifested itself in literally and figuratively towing each other, carrying each other. Um, we were the first team that invented the, the idea of tow lines, where we'd literally put a person on the end of a, a bungee cord with two carabiners, and the stronger person would literally tow whoever was was the last person or the person that was most challenged at that moment or the person who that sport wasn't their strength. We would just connect <clears throat> the person at the time, and instead of waiting for somebody like all the other teams, we would just take them with us, or we'd constantly move weight around. You know, if someone was a little bit slower, they were suffering for some reason, or we were in an area that wasn't their strength, we would just take their pack mm -hmm. and person would carry two packs for a while. And, you know, the, our, our whole idea was to, we started winning races when we discovered the concept of suffering equally. <laughs> our goal was like to try to get everybody's heart rate the same <laughs> so that we could all be like working equally hard. And sometimes it meant loading somebody up with more weight, and giving somebody else less, but we never saw that as a weakness to accept help from each other. We saw it as, as this is how we win. And, you know, so we were never the best athletes. We were just the best teammates. And, right. and that changed everything. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing because what you just said again goes back to the firehouse. Somebody else may not have a good strength in this one particular area or not, especially when you're talking to the patient. Somebody else may. So then it's about how do we help that person take care of that and do that? And we fill in for them on somewhere else. Yeah, 100%. Yep. Everyone's constantly moving to where, you know, to where their skill is most needed, you know, at the time. Now and it's, it's all okay. So there's one story that I recall and it's about, and I think it, it was the French team and they had a guy who had broken a leg or something at the beginning of the race. But you just said that if they, if somebody gets, doesn't finish, do they have to have just a number of people or can they substitute people? Yeah, as long as you have the right number of people at the start line, they don't necessarily care who it is. So, okay, uh, but if that person if that person breaks a leg, you can't grab somebody off the street and fill in at that point yeah. once the race has started. Once it started, no. Okay, yeah. so um, tell me what happened there. Tell tell the listeners about that because this story is absolutely fascinating about how this one team pulled us all together. Yeah, it was it was really impressive, actually. Um, the top French team, a team called Team Intersport, um, they had taken second place in the World Championships in Madagascar the year before, and they were on a mission coming back to win this year in the Borneo Rainforest. And on their way running to the start line, they had a teammate break his ankle. 
And so, you know, now they have this crazy decision to make, you know, like what on earth do we do now? Do we go home? Do we start disqualified because we don't have the right number of people on our team? Or do we walk around the rainforest near the start line and see if we can find a guy <laughs> to come race with us? And they start, let's, knocking. let's just go pick somebody off the street in <laughs> yeah. Borneo. Yeah. I mean, in this case, off the street was, you know, the, these huts in this little farming village. And um, I was there. This is my first big adventure race ever. So I saw all this unfold. Um, brand newbie, my first start line ever. These guys start knocking on the huts that are in this little farming village. It took us three days to get there. We're deep, deep, deep in the Borneo rainforest. And so we're just in this little farming village and there's a couple of huts and they start knocking on the huts. And one door slowly opens and we can see them very like excitedly say to each other, oh my God, this is the guy that will fit the available Lycra outfit. And so they're begging him to come out. Wait, wait, the, the guy who will fit the what? The Lycra outfit. Oh, the Lycra outfit. Okay. I'm sorry. I missed the word. Okay. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get Lycra outfit. So they, they, they take him out of this hut and um, they're basically like putting the uniform on him and telling him to kiss his three kids goodbye. Um, Cause he'd be gone for, you know, probably a week to 10 days doing this little thing called an adventure race. And bless his heart. He doesn't speak the word of French. They speak very little English. He'd never done any of these sports, not one. He'd never ridden a bike. He'd never used climbing gear. He'd never been in a boat. And they're lining up with this, with this guy to start the race. And it's nuts because the coolest thing you see, though, is the first thing that you see on, on, on the story is that he's looking at the camera as, he, as they're running off the start line. And he says, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm confident I can work it with a team. And he like crosses his arm across his chest when he says team. And so he had that, that, that deep understanding that I don't have to know everything, but this team, you know, this team is going to show me everything I need to know and I'm going to bring my strengths to them and it's going to be great. And that exact thing happened. Um, they put him right out in front. They let him lead. They knew the first two days, the race was literally in his backyard. So they didn't put the new guy in the back. They put him right out front and they let him lead the first couple of days of the race because it was basically his village. And then when they got to sports that he had never done before, they taught him how to ride a bike. They taught him how to paddle a boat. They taught him how to use climbing gear. And, you know, his willingness to learn was unbelievable. You know, he was just, he was like, I'm not going to let these guys down. I'm going to learn everything I need to know. And um, bless their hearts out of what were we? We, we were 63rd. <laughs> Our team was dead last. We were, it was my first race ever. We were all female team. It was great. Um, but they took second place. That team took second place out of 63 teams. Wow. Yeah. I mean, amazing. Like they crossed the finish line. They're pouring champagne on each other. And, um, you know, the, the, it's, the story is neat, of course, because of, of how epic it was to drag somebody out of the rainforest and put them into a big adventure race. But there are a couple of things that I really get out of that story as I look at it and analyze it. And the first thing is that, you know, we talk about how our luck is that moment where opportunity meets preparation. You know, and in this case, the value of different kinds of preparation, the team had huge adventure racing knowledge, Dawat had huge local knowledge, and then they each proactively discovered this amazing opportunity in each other. And they became the second luckiest team in the race. And all, but also what makes us valuable to our team members isn't what we know necessarily. Sometimes it makes us valuable to the team is what we're willing to learn along the way. You know, and very often the newest person on the team or the outside resource can bring such an interesting or unique background and perspective, you know, they can often be the linchpin to your team's success, right? So always embrace those outside resources and new people and find out what they know and mine their strengths and let them lead, you know, and, and last but not least that 
sometimes the universe comes and knocks on our hut, <laughs> you know, like in our life. <laughs> And we're the not universe a, knocks on our hut. I got that. Might, that might just be the title for the show. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not ready, but you know what? If you open the door and you make a commitment to get in the game, and you know you have an amazing team around you, you know that's the most important part is building a team around you. Mm -hmm. um, but then you always discover that you're in the in the words of Christopher Robin that you're braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. And uh, you know that's what he discovered on those on those only five bless their hearts days uh, in the Borneo rainforest. They won that sucker in five days. My team crossed the finish line in nine days. That's how fast they were. Wow. Yeah. So you've taken those concepts of what you've done in extreme sports. And it's just not the eco challenge in those races, but you've done other major sports. You've helped other people grow in that as well. And we're going to get to your project, the Athena Foundation, a little bit, because that's another big aspect of what you do is helping people that way. Am I right? Yep. Yep. hundred percent. It's about taking, taking setbacks and turning them into big comebacks. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, we'll get into that in a moment, but I, I want to understand your definition. What is teamwork? Not as much a definition, but what does teamwork mean to you? Well, actually, the, the word teamwork um, means a lot to me because it's the it's the backbone of of my essential elements of human synergy presentation. So I actually created a, an acronym based on the word teamwork about what builds a truly world class team, what what creates this culture of human synergy. And so if you think about it, acronym wise, the T is total commitment, not to the start line, to the finish line, to each other. Uh, the E is empathy and awareness, you know, kind of that human connection. The A is adversity management skills. You know, how do you adapt, overcome, and continue to win when, when everything's crazy and everything changes, the only thing you can count on. Uh, mutual respect. Uh, the W is we thinking versus me thinking. You know, that idea that you understand deeply, like, if you want to go fast, you can go alone, but if you want to go far, we got to go together. Like, not only sharing our strengths, but sharing our challenges. Uh, o is ownership, ownership and buy-in of the project. You know, how do you how do you in genuinely and deeply inspire people versus just motivate? Uh, the R is relinquishment of ego, leaving your ego at the start line. And the K is kinetic leadership, meaning leadership that constantly flows and changes, you know, changing leaders as well as changing leadership styles, um, you know, about operating not based on, on titles or tenure, but on talents. And so when you take those eight essential elements that create human synergy and you line them up, it's almost like a vertebrae. Like if everything's in alignment, you know, you have a truly world-class team. If something's a little bit out of alignment, you know, you, you got to make, make sure that's, that's short up. A good team, but not world-class. Right. Yeah. You built the teams there. You were with the firefighting units and doing things in that direction. Those are all powerful ways to have a team. But for you to be called a CNN, I'm going to use the words here, a CNN and runner's world hero. What is that? Tell us about that, how that kind of came about. So um, after many, many years of, of uh, ultra endurance racing, I ran out of cartilage in my hips. And I discovered that in a really unfortunate way, which is in the middle of the world championships in Scotland. And I, I, I literally like, fell to the ground. I lost all power and I forget which leg it was at the time, but um, I like crumbled to the ground and I'm like, what is going on? I thought I pulled a hip flexor. 
And so the rest of the race, I had to pull my leg forward with a, with a rope or with my arm, because I literally could not get my brain to make my leg move forward. And I had no idea what the heck is going on. Um, my team took all my weight. I, my whole job was to move my leg forward for the next four or five days. So we got across finish line. And then I went and to an orthopedic surgeon and I discovered like for the first time, I'd ever had anything orthopedic happen in my entire life. Um, the, the, uh, the orthopedic guy puts up the x-ray and he says, Hey, look at this. You're completely out of cartilage in both hips. And you know, you're probably never going to run again. And so like, I went from being this like world champion athlete to being like, Oh my God, I need, I need two hip replacements. Like, and he's like, <laughs> he goes, I'll see you in a couple of weeks, go talk to my surgery scheduler. And I said, just give me some 800 ibuprofen. I'll see you in a couple of years. And he looked at me again. He said, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and so <laughs> he was right. I was wrong. <laughs> wow. And, yeah. And so I had to have, uh, oh God, it was a whole long series of different kinds of hip replacements that I tried and they failed. And I started running too fast and I broke my femur. I broke, um, I broke the cups that, you know, that hold, that hold the, uh, the, the device. So I ended up having basically six hip replacements over, over eight years. Uh, but <laughs> the good thing from all of that is, um, well, hold on time out. I thought I'd turn this off. All right. Um, the, the good news from that was that I, um, I discovered a new sport because I decided to, to focus on what I could do instead of what I couldn't do for a while. So I became an endurance paddler. And so I discovered a whole brand new sport. I never knew I had a talent for, uh, and did a lot of great stuff there and, and, you know, set some records and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the coolest thing that happened from these crazy metal hips was, um, my desire to kind of take my talents and background and experience and use them to help somebody else. So, as I sort of thought about how do I take my adventure skills and help other people, I thought about how I kind of turned my own setback of, of these metal hips into a comeback of becoming a, an ultra endurance paddler. And I thought, what if we can do that for other people? Like, what if we can mm -hmm. turn their big setbacks into huge comebacks through adventure and endurance sports? And so like suddenly I just got the idea is like, let's help survivors live an adventurous dream as part of their recovery. Um, so they can show themselves and everyone who's taking care of them the last however long, um, show their family, show their kids, like how strong and amazing they are after a big setback in their life. And so that That's was what launched. Yeah, that was Project Athena. And uh, so we've been doing that for 12 years now, um, taking survivors on huge, big endurance adventures and um, and fundraisers. So we take survivors as well as anybody else who wants to come along and, and be a part of it. And uh, we travel as one big team the entire way. So we're not racing each other. Like that's kind of the intersection of like my, my team building life and, and nonprofit life is um, we build a family. Like we build a world-class team at Project Athena with every adventure. So if you're one of the stronger people, you help somebody else. If you need help, you gracefully accept help. And we all suffer equally and get across the finish line together. So we build our own world-class team of 30 to 40 people in every single adventure. And we do four big adventures a year and we train all our participants, whether they're survivors or fundraisers for four months and a really cool online training program. So you can literally come off the couch and do one of our adventures with our four to five months training plan. 
And, um, and then I lead all the adventures and, and we build the most amazing world-class team that has these crazy epic experiences together where we're all turning our, our setbacks into huge comebacks and, and seeing how amazing each other is. What, do you have any examples? I, I shouldn't say example. That's probably not the right word. Do you have any stories about somebody who's really just come from an area like they didn't think they could do it to where they are doing it? Oh gosh. Um, every single adventure, <laughs> every, literally every mm -hmm. single adventure. Um, okay. I'll, I'll start with, uh, two weeks ago. Um, we did, um, we did our annual Florida keys to recovery event. And that's an adventure where we start in Key Largo and we kayak and ride bikes all the way from Key Largo to Key West, 120 miles. I was going to say that's about a hundred miles. Okay. Yeah. But unfortunately, with all the turns we make, it's about 120. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's not like driving A1A. Okay, got it. <laughs> exactly. I, I built the first one. I, I had all these stickers made, you know, 100 miles, Key Largo to Key West. And then people had their had their watches on. And they were monitoring, you know, the distance. They're like, it was 120 miles. Stop lying to us. <laughs> so now we know it's 120. Um, but, oh, my gosh, we just had seven survivors cross that finish line. And uh, just a couple of, of stories that that stick out. There's, um, uh, well, a, a woman who is amazing, but she, she's, uh, she has stage four cancer right now. And she had already kind of in, in her mind, you know, she has, you know, several kids and, and, um, you know, in her mind, she had stopped being the super strong mom, you know, that she always was. And she was relying on her kids a lot for help. And, and, you know, she was kind of getting in that mindset of this is about as good as it's going to get for me. And she came and did this adventure and her husband was there, too. He came as a fundraiser and he said, I got like the wife that I married. I got her back on this trip like she was so strong and so amazing like she was a little afraid you know of, 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 at first of like getting in the kayak and and being in the big waves and but with every single mile she showed herself you know yes like i i can do this i am this strong i'm you know and she discovered how amazing she was along the way and her husband said i've never i haven't seen this woman in 20 in 20 years this woman that that emerged during this trip like the life that she has the confidence that she has um she actually at the end she said you know, everyone calls me um, mama bear because, you know, I'm always taking, I'm taking care of other people and I'm this nice mom. And she goes, I'm going home as mama bear. She <laughs> <laughs> got her little boss out and she, and she was like, you know, now I know how, how amazing I am and how strong I am. And I'm not that weak person. I'm not that, you know, I'm not that cancer, you know, I'm not that cancer survivor. I'm a badass endurance athlete. And, you know, so literally we, we changed lives. There was another woman on this trip, amazing, um, who is a double um, below the knee amputee. She, uh, she fell and was rescued five days later in the Canadian wilderness. And by that time she had such frostbite that they couldn't save anything below her knees. And so she had both legs removed below her, her knees and, uh, in Canada, she got kind of the lowest level prosthetics that that they, you know, that only, the only ones that they would buy. And she finally actually just got a couple of good prosthetics. And this was her first real like big adventure where she was going to, you know, she had been fishing and she had done a bunch of things, but 
but she had never tested herself like this since, you know, and since a couple of years ago, she, you know, she became a double, double amputee and that girl bust her heart. She was on a tandem bike uh, with one of, with a member of my team. And she was an amazing paddler. Like she discovered how strong she was, you know, in her upper body, even though she couldn't push that much with her legs. She, you know, she discovered she may have a, a career as, as a paddler. And um, she was crying at the end. If you, um, gosh, it, on her, on her YouTube page, she, like the day we finished, she's sitting on the stairs and she has her Athena wreath on all of our Athenas get a wreath at the end um, because they're official there in Athena. Uh, we take male survivors too. And we call them Zeus. We just didn't have any male survivors on this one, but um, she was just sitting on the stairs crying, going, I can't, I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I'm this strong. I, I never imagined, you know, and so this is like what we hear over and over again. It's just people discovering, you know, something that, not only some people are discovering what they lost, but a lot of people are discovering something they never even knew they had, yeah. you know, inside of them. And so they're doing these adventures that 99% of completely healthy people can't even imagine um, and, and succeeding. And so they go home like on top of the world, like, you know, that they go home as a badass endurance athlete. You no, know, they came as a survivor. They go home as a badass endurance athlete and it completely changes how everybody in their life treats them and how they see themselves. Um, another one of my favorite stories is um, one of our breast cancer survivors. We asked her what her favorite part of that Florida Keys adventure was. And she said, you know, obviously the adventure itself was amazing, but my favorite part was when I came home and, and I had been so used to my kids and my husband and my, and my family doing everything for me. She said the, the luggage came out on the carousel when I came home to the airport and she said for the first time in two years, none of my kids nor my husband reached for my luggage, reached for something to help me. She, she goes, I just sat there with my arms crossed and I watched that luggage go around and around and around. And I was the happiest person on earth because she knew her family didn't need her to get it, you know, because of what she had just done. You know, she realized that, wow, my family sees me as strong again. My family sees me as strong mom again. They're not diving all over the place to try to get my luggage. Like, she's like, I'm back. You know, my kids don't see me as weak anymore. And, you know, that's, it's just what, what project. It's changing the mindset of what we believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah of, of how they see themselves, of who they believe they are, you know. And, and it's, it's the mindset there from their, their own growth, but also they also realize they're part of that team as they're doing yep. all of that. Yep. Yeah. And that's the team that they like a lot of these people like are, are friends for life. Um, mm -hmm. are, so let me ask, I want to ask you the question here because you, you talked some great stories about these uh, survivors. How did you put your Athena foundation team together? Um, and how are they, what did it take to pull these types of folks together to work in this foundation to help people like this? So, I mean, basically our, our trail angels who are, are my team that's out there, you know, kind of assisting and making mm -hmm. sure, you know, everyone gets across the finish line together. They're all um, people I used to race against or race with. So, so I know that they're, you know, these amazing ultra endurance athletes. Um, my guy that I always have at the back of the pack, we call him the Reaper. And he's not only a world-class adventure racer, he's also a best ranger winner who can fix anything. <laughs> so everybody... <laughs> Everybody on my team, you know, have, have incredible background and strength, not only in endurance sports, but in 
you know, what our campers, what our, what our campers need, you know, in that moment, um, you know, to keep them in the game, um, you know, fixing their bikes, fixing whatever, gosh, we, we come up with all kinds of crazy fixes for stuff, but, but our team is basically a team that puts them back in the game. Then we have our crew, which runs around behind the scenes with all everybody's luggage and, and the food and the gear and equipment and meets us at different places along the way. And my husband, Jeff leads that team. And it's a, a, that the crew is mostly a lot of our firefighter buddies um, that, that were on his crew over time. So um, it's just all our big family, you know, that's, that's helping these other, these other survivors. And um, you know, you, you can't, I can't even begin to explain like how close these people get in such a short period of time. Um, yeah. because they, they have these moments where you, you like, you start out as strangers and you literally end up as family, you know, three okay. or four. And, and it's how, long, how long is the time frame from the time they come together for the trip to do this? How long does it happen? How long does it take? So they know of each other for about four months before it, because they're, they're training and they, they have ways to communicate with each other on WhatsApp and through our coaches and through Facebook. And so some of them already, you know, know each other. But um, our longest adventure is, is that Florida Keys. And they're only together four days um, in the Grand Canyon. They're together four days. We do our, one of our other big trips is a rim to rim to rim trek all the way across the Grand Canyon and back. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we do 45 miles in, in two days with 12,000 feet of gain. Um, epic. Wow. We, we do an entire traverse of Zion National Park. We do 45 miles all the way across Zion National Park in two days. Uh, and we're just adding a Sedona, Sedona, I call them calling it the Sedona Vortex Ultra. We're doing our first one this May, the inaugural, but we're doing 50 miles all in and around the Red Rocks in two days. So, I mean, these are like crazy big adventures. These aren't like little introductory adventures. These are gnarly adventures. And, and we like to keep it that way so that first of all, people go home, like so amazed and inspired by what they accomplished, but also so that it's almost something that is too big to do alone and people really need to count on and rely on each other okay. and you know, that's how we kind of create that petri dish of, of the project athena magic is everyone doing things that difficult are going to have these highs and lows and times where they need help other times where they feel great and they can give help and you 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 kind of create that culture mm -hmm. um you know and and it's instant you know of people who deeply understand giving and accepting help, um, leaving your that, ego. That, that's, that's a key point because in, in business so often, people are willing to help others. They're less willing to ask for help. Yep. How do you get people to feel comfortable enough to ask for help? Um, well, first, it's, first of all, it's, it's the project that, you know, way. Actually, it's in, <laughs> it's in our registration documents that <laughs> this is how we roll. We actually have a document about how we roll. And it's, you know, we're all going to have our strengths. We're all going to have our challenges in your area of strength. You may be helping somebody else carrying extra weight. When we're at a section where, where you need help at Project Athena, um, the most graceful thing you can do for the team, because it's all about the team, the most graceful thing you can do is accept help. And so mm -hmm. we out really early on saying, um, you know, on, on these adventures and also our deep understanding on our adventure racing teams back in the day was that we kind of set the stage that this isn't, this isn't a weakness. This is how we, the team, which is the important part, this collective, this us is much more important than the you. And, you know, your job that you do for the us is that when you need help, 
Um, and, and it's usually comes from us. We, as the trail angels, we're looking around going, Hey, this person keeps falling back, falling back, falling back. And we'll actually come up to them and we'll just say, Hey, we're going to grab your pack for a bit. And, you know, everyone on project Athena understands that, that that's not a weakness. It's how the team moves faster. And your job is to help the team move faster. And so we actually go up, we just take people's packs, we connect them to tow lines. And with that understanding that, like, look, you're, and, and this is kind of what I always say, like, we, we want to keep you from going, from getting fit. We're, we're not saying that you can't handle this right now. We're saying that we want to keep you from getting to that place where you're going to struggle. You're not struggling yet, but you're heading that direction. We want to keep you out of the hole so yeah. that, you know, we're going to take this weight off you for a little bit. You're going to eat, you're going to drink, you're going to recover. And then guess what? In a couple hours, you're going to help somebody else. Right. Like that's your mission right now. I like what you said. It's in your in your uh, Project Athena handbook, if you will. Yeah, how we so roll. So I'm, I'm saying that that should be that mindset should be in almost every company's policies and procedures handbook about yeah. being able to ask for help. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we do. Um, you know, when I do breakouts, I actually have a little document about um, a, a one sheet about tow lines. You know, like in what ways can you tow people? What are your areas of amazing strength? How can you lend strength? But also in what what areas of business life, whatever it may be, it could be your personal life. It could be your 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 physical life. Like who who would you like to grab a tow line from? You know, what what do you need to learn in essence? You know, mm-hmm. and so and so I've had companies take that one sheet of people listing their strength and also listing their their needs and desires about like, how, where would I love a teammate to help me through something? And, and then they put those people together, you know, or created committees. Like, you know, these people are great at this. These people are great at this. And it's not even a formal thing. It's like, Hey, here's your peers that are great at, you know, let's say it's sales, like are great at social media and getting those leads. Here's your peers that are great at building websites. Here's your peers that are great at, you know, that, that, that say they can create a, a workout plan for you, like whatever your strength is mm-hmm. and creating like different little committees to say like, Hey, here's the people to reach out to. Um, grab a tow line from these people, you know, in these areas. And then these people are going to grab tow lines for, from you in your area of strength. And we're all going to rise. That goes back to one of my philosophies of sharing the knowledge, constantly being able to share the knowledge to be able to help each other out. Because right. it doesn't do us any good if, all, if one person hoards all the knowledge. No, no. And no. always, always beware of someone who is a knowledge hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to ask, you know, you've covered a lot and we've been on here already over 40 minutes so it's just exciting to hear you your energy your passion what's next i mean you've got project athena where are you going now oh yeah well we're definitely going to keep project athena rolling for sure um and uh now well one of my next missions is um i want to create a uh another nonprofit, an animal sanctuary in sedona mm. and um so i've got some land and i want to create a, a animal sanctuary and, um, you know, help, well, one of my dreams is to help rescue dogs do agility competitions um, on top of, you know, kind of putting dogs together with amazing owners, you know, dogs that are hard to adopt out and, and uh, either give them a forever home or get them, get them to somebody who can, who can love them. So, yeah, I, I have lots of goals and, and dreams, but uh, yeah, uh, Project Athena will still be, you know, in the forefront, you know, for the next Gosh, until until I can't hike anymore. <laughs> it's only been about 50 years. Everybody knock wood. 
Well, I got to tell you, it's been exciting to have you on board here and going through things. What a way to kick off our sixth season on the Teamwork Advantage. If folks want to reach out to you and learn more about Project Athena, what's the best way they can do that? Projectathena.org is, is the website. And then I also have worldclassteams.com where you can actually download, if you're interested in that in the, that team building or that teamwork acronym, and mm-hmm. um, they can get a free download of, of you know, kind of my cliff notes of, of those eight essential elements of human synergy off the homepage. And I don't nice. ask anybody's email or anything. I don't have a newsletter. I'm not going to write to you. I just try it's all about the philosophy of the association, the National Speakers Association that I belong to. And that is the one where it says, don't worry about getting a bigger piece of the pie. Just make the pie bigger. Exactly. And that's what you're doing is making that pie bigger. Yep. I want to, so. I want people as, as I can reach to feel that, that magic of that synergy of that human synergy. It's, it's epic. And I've been super lucky to have it in so many aspects of my life. And I get excited about bringing that, seeing people like when they can feel that magic of that deep connection to somebody else and you know and how it elevates and inspires the entire team would love to get you back on i want to hear more of those stories from borneo from all over the world feet i want to hear about fiji that's (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's well actually I, i forgot i have a book called how winning works and that has all the stories in it I've got it somewhere around this house. <laughs> so there's no doubt about it. So it's so much fun to hear your voice, hear your passion. Um, love to get you back on here again sometime soon. Thank you very much for joining us here. I really, really, I want to say thank you. I'm grateful for having you on board here and sharing your philosophies. Because folks, we had a, one of the things I did when I started this podcast was focus in on teamwork, leadership, and culture. And you dove right into teamwork today all the way in and you've given us ideas that we can actually think about extrapolate from and put them into play in our lives every day and as i like to close off the sessions each week i say once a week with the teamwork advantage you get ideas that you can use immediately and robin has definitely done that for us today until next week remember having a good day that's just being average when you listen to the teamwork advantage we know you are not average so go make today an excellent an exceptional day. Till next week, season six kicking off right now. Woo-hoo. Make it a great day. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T E A M S R O C K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.